Portland Computer Services presents the Baseball Lifer Podcast. Well, hi everybody, Don Wardlow here, Baseball Lifer in Residence. Welcome to the podcast, and we're going to have an interesting one today, an unusual one. My guest, Eric Padden, does what I do, but does it on a much greater scale. He is a collector of all sports, baseball and football, boxing. He collects them all on recordings. His recordings go back to the 1930s. He's still got his collection and he still trades it with the odd collector like myself who has something to trade. He's been kind enough to share some of his games from his collection with me in exchange for a few of mine that he didn't happen to have. So Eric will be our guest. And before we bring him on, I wanted to share a few of the sounds that make baseball game collecting such a fun thing to do. I'm going to share four different ones. I'm going to share Walter Johnson doing a play-by-play from the 1939 Washington Senators, his one and only season at the microphone. I'll follow that up with two Red Barber moments from the 1947 World Series. And then the first call that I heard when I was a kid, I I can't even find words for how I felt hearing it. It was Bobby Thompson's home run. I heard it for the first time on a show called The Way It Was, which was on PBS. Kurt Gowdy was the host. He brought on a bunch of members of the 1951 Giants and Dodgers. And right at the end, he played the shot heard round the world, Bobby Thompson's home run. And it was Russ Hodges, the Giants broadcaster, at the microphone. Earlier calls from the series had been recreated, but this one was the real McCoy. So that's the fourth and last piece that you'll hear before we go to our first commercial. You'll hear Walter Johnson. Two calls by Red Barber and the Bobby Thompson home run called by Russ Hodges. Well, maybe we'll break the ice this time. Going long enough. Six innings and a half and no scores. Here comes the next pitch. He swings and hits one in the left field. Weatherly's well, going way back, way back over there. And he tried to make that catch. He dives into the sand. He hits his head against the sand. And apparently he's hurt, tapped right round third base. Charlie Gilbert round third, and he scored. It's a home run for Charlie Gilbert, and Little Weatherly is hurt out there. He slid into that box seat and hurt himself. The Yankees are ahead 2-1. to one. Jean Friedall, the pinch runners at second, the tying run. Mixes the winning runs at first base. Both of them on with walks, both the pinch runners. No hits by Bevins. Eight and two-thirds innings. Two out last of the ninth. The pitch to Labajetto. Swung on and missed. Fastball. It was in there. Strike one. John Frito walks off second. Mixes off first. They're both ready to go on anything. Two men out. Last of the ninth. 
The pitch swung on. There's a drive hit out toward the right field corner. Henrik is going back. He can't get it. It's off the wall for a base hit. Here comes the tying run. And here comes the winning run. Friends, they're killing Lavagetto, his own teammates. They are beaten into pieces. And it's taken a police escort to get Lavagetto away from the Dodgers. Joe leans in. Outfield deep, round toward left, the infield overshifted. Here's the pitch. Swung on, belted. It's a long one, deep into left center. Back for Jean Fito. Back, 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 back. He makes a one-handed catch against the bullpen. Oh, doctor. Bobby Thompson up there swinging. He's got two out of three, a single and a double, and Billy Cox is playing him right on the third base line. One out, last of the ninth. Back of pitches. Bobby Thompson takes a strike call on the inside corner. Bobby hitting at 292. He's had a single and a double, and he drove in the Giants' first run with a long fly to center. Brooklyn leads it 4 to 2. High time, down the line at third, not taking any chances. Lockton without too big of a lead at second, but he'll be running like the wind if Thompson hits one. Back of throws. There's a long side. I gotta be in the lead. The Giants win the pennant. 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 Bobby Thompson gets into the very back of the left field stand. The Giants win the pennant, and they're going crazy. They're going crazy. Man, that still gives you chills when you hear. Russ Hodges describing that home run by Bobby Thompson. When we come back after a word from our sponsor, we'll bring on our guest, Eric Padden, and we'll talk about collecting baseball broadcasts down through the years. That's what you'll hear if you keep it here. I am having such a problem at work. This is the second time this month I have had two computers down and I can't get my computer company to come to the office and fix them. I think they are too busy with other bigger companies. You know, I was having the same problem until we met Cortland Computer Services in Middlesex, New Jersey. They respond to most of my calls the same day, either by accessing my computers remotely or by sending a technician to my office. Wow, that would be great. It is such a disruption when the computers are not working properly. I need somebody that can come out, see what's wrong, and fix it. On our first meeting, they surveyed our network for security, identified some problem areas, and set us up with security software designed to prevent malware, ransomware, and all of the other threats that are on the internet these days. They have been helping central New Jersey businesses for 30 years, and they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. You should contact them either on the web at CortlandComputerServices.com or by phone at 732-356-8860. 732-356-8860. CortlandComputerServices.com. Tell them you heard about it on the Baseball Lifer podcast and get a $100 coupon toward your first two hours of computer services. Back on the Baseball Lifer podcast. Don Wardlow here, and our guest is baseball game collector and historian Eric Patton. Eric, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Don. Great to be here. Now, when you told me about 
being uh, something of a historian. You said you used to be a college professor. Tell me about that. Yes, I uh, taught for about uh, 14 uh, years, mostly in uh, community colleges, uh, uh, about the last eight years that I did it at uh, Raritan Valley Community College uh, in New Jersey, uh, not far from where I lived, uh, teaching uh, primarily American history and uh, history of civilization. It was, it was very enjoyable, but it's a very, very competitive market. It's uh, very, very hard to break into the ideal uh, thing long term, which is why I don't do it anymore. There aren't many baseball game collectors out there, at least not that I know of, and I'm one, you're one, there's a couple of others out there, but I'm sure we all got started in different ways. I got started for real in 1991 when I became a professional baseball broadcaster. My partner wanted to have me hear the best of the best old-time broadcasters, and he had seen an ad in Baseball Digest or yes. one of those magazines, and he invested in the first bunch of baseball broadcasts that began my collection. So how did your collecting days begin? Uh, similar. I uh, uh, kind of combining when uh, when uh, VCRs became cheap in 1985, it was now easy to start recording. And uh, recording radio material kind of followed up on that. So that was about 1985. Uh, that was, of course, in the midst of uh, the Yankee uh, drought. And so I was kind of doing it out of the sense of, gee, I, I wasn't able to record 77 and 78. And now I want to be ready for the next championship. And I had to wait over a decade before that finally uh, came true. But uh, similar to what you're saying, I, I too also uh, built up my uh, audio collection thanks to that those same ads in uh, Baseball Digest. That was a company named Danrick Enterprises, which uh, only in the last five years finally shuttered itself. Uh, that and another outlet, uh, the, uh, the Miley Collection, is were the only two firms licensed by Major League Baseball to sell these old broadcasts. The bulk of which came primarily from one collector. Uh, uh, you probably noticed that, again, so many of these older recordings are from the Albany, Schenectady area, and that's because they were recorded by one man whose name was Pat Raspoli, who, starting in 1957, started uh, just recording games on his reel-to-reel the last year when the Dodgers were in New York, and then when they moved out, uh, the Yankees inherited the Dodgers station up there, so he recorded the Yankees, he recorded the Mets when they came in, he even recorded the Montreal Expos their first season when they had an affiliate, so that ended up, ended up inadvertently preserving more baseball radio of that era than literally almost any other single individual did, and all of us who collect owe an eternal debt of gratitude to Mr. Raspoli, who passed away in 1979 for having done this. We'd, we'd be a lot poorer off if he hadn't been there to sort of be the initial trailblazer. And, uh, and Miley and Danrick then just inherited his estate lots and have been able to sell uh, those things in the years since. You know, it didn't take me too long to realize that these games were coming from Albany radio stations, WOKO and um, WROW, 
WHRL had the expos, and but I had no idea there was just one individual doing all this recording for so many years. Yeah, he had an acquaintance, I think, by the mid seventies, who in the who was a little bit nearby uh, in Albany and Rispoli. I think was more in Schenectady, and uh, this uh, friend who his name is forever, I think, unknown to us. Uh, he started recording about seventy three and continued. Uh, up on reel to reels through the early 90s. And uh, I was very fortunate. Uh, my best friend and I in the in this collecting thing, who I've known for 20 years, uh, when uh, Dan Rick Enterprises folded up and uh, got out of the business, he had apparently, uh, I think, a lot of the uh, original reels from this second person estate. And almost most of them were then auctioned off in estate lots on eBay and my friend and I, we sort of got the inside track to always swoop in and make certain we were the ones who picked them up uh, before any auction bidding got out of hand. And we were then able to transfer a lot of those. So we have just a ton more of other uh, audios that we found available. There are probably some that have disappeared through the cracks, but for a lot more Albany Schenectady ones from that market that continued after Mr. Raspoli's death, uh, were uh, made available and we kind of got the bulk of those now and other than baseball i do some collecting of boxing and i even found out that some of those fights from the late 50s were from uh wrow in albany or other stations in that area yeah he he too apparently he was even raspoli i think was even well known to people in the old time radio collecting circuits he would he would just was a he, he was a single man who lived with uh, other family members uh and he just apparently would be recording would set up his reels and going almost constantly all day in a lot of things so he he apparently uh, his his interests spanned out in a lot of other areas uh uh, but uh, in time, uh, the baseball he became noted for. But he did record, as you say, some of those boxing things and NFL championship games. I mean, he recorded the only complete radio broadcast of the famous Giants-Colts sudden death championship game of 1958. Talking with Eric Patton, baseball game collector, historian. In the very first box of games that I received, one was listed as Game 7 of the 1960 World Series. Well, what I discovered was I had been sold a recreation done by Bob Prince and Jim Woods after the fact. And I I knew that, that Chuck Thompson had done the radio, and I knew that Mel Allen and Bob Prince had done the television. Have you ever had a kind of a trick played on you, if you will? Have you ever opened up a game and found out it wasn't what uh, what you thought you were going to get? Well, not in terms, I think, of uh, knowing its original source. I mean, those kind of off-season recreations were uh, happened in a, in a few other venues, I think, uh, way, way back uh, in the day. Uh, of course, those were, I think, done by people for the benefit of others who uh, you know, couldn't because they because the station I don't think even was keeping the original tapes then. But never never so much in thinking that okay I've ordered this broadcast and I know it's got to be uh, like say maybe the end. But you might end up getting one and maybe the quality isn't great or it's incomplete or missing. I haven't had that. I, 
that that may have happened for, happened from time to time, but that's kind of potentially where the disappointment can come up, where you might end up getting a copy that's a little too edited. It might not have uh, the post game or or something like that, or it might be missing a key inning or a key play. But those are the sort of gremlins I I anticipate sometimes might happen uh, from these what were originally amateur recordings and uh, might have had those kinds of slip-ups. One bunch of games you've been kind enough to let me have were the 1975 World Series from WNWS in New York City when sports was on FM for one magical season. When I was a kid, I heard those games as they happened, and I recorded a couple of them, but I didn't have a whole lot of tape to play with, so I couldn't keep those recordings. They got erased, and then when I bought from Dan Rick and Miley, those were not the same as what WNWS put out. Um, uh, Miley or Dan Rick, uh, one, one game I know was from Portland, Oregon, from a radio yeah. station there, but those NWS games are amazing. Do you happen to remember how you got hold of those? Yeah, those, those, and if you've ever noted some of my other uploads on my YouTube channel of some of the other 70s and 60s Yankee games that come from the New York City flagship station and not from Albany, Schenectady, uh, those came from an entirely different estate lot uh, about seven or eight years ago that, uh, that emerged on, uh, on eBay. Uh, from someone who was, I think, in New Jersey, and so therefore he would have been recording off New York City, and therefore he'd be getting the cleaner, more pristine thing, because you got to remember that uh, an Albany Schenectady recording is going to always sound muffled because the station up there is, is getting stuff through the phone line, so it's got a filtered quality compared to if you're listening to it straight off the New York City flagship. And uh, these recordings, uh, which included the 75 World Series, uh, just were predominantly in this more pristine, almost engineer booth type quality. And, and it was just utterly amazing that we got the uh, managed to get the inside track on that. Yeah, because uh, uh, that particular series, uh, that was the last year that NBC did the World Series on radio. Uh, that was because they were... Uh, at the time, they had decided that they were going to go with a 24-hour news format on their on their radio network. And WNWS uh, FM in New York, which had previously been WNBC FM, was the station carrying their 24-hour news service. But they had to take time out under their lame duck contract to make room for the World Series. Uh, which they apparently did not want to run on regular WNBC, uh, which by that point had become primarily a music station. Again, they didn't want to interrupt the music for the World Series, so that's why they aired it on the FM station. And uh might have been harder to pick up locally at the time, but uh, long-term it resulted in that beautiful-sounding recording that thankfully this other uh, person uh, had kept uh, preserved in their vault for 40-odd years. I, for one, was sorry that NBC didn't keep the radio rights to the World Series. I always thought they did the best job, and I never was real partial to uh, Wynn Elliott or Ross Porter, the people who were doing it on CBS in the years from 1976 until 1998 when ESPN got it. 
Yeah, well, what happened uh, there was that the first couple of years, CBS was kind of like treating it as a an event like, because uh, Wynn Elliott, who back in the 60s had been the TV voice of the Rangers on hockey, but he was the guy who hosted a sports roundup show every morning on CBS uh, Radio News, and he would host their coverage of the Kentucky Derby and things like that as and act as the host, and then you'd bring in another guy to call the action. And the first couple of years, CBS, though, was continu- continuing the practice of having the local announcer do the road games. And so they figure, well, let's have our network guy host, and then we bring in the local guy for play-by-play, which is why in 77 and 78, you have Bill White, the Yankee announcer, doing the World Series games in Los Angeles. Win Elliott, who was a Dodger, I mean, say Ross Porter, who was a Dodger announcer, doing the games in New York. They asked Vince Scully to do it, but he turned it down because he had an attitude of, if I can't do all the games of the World Series, I don't want to do it. And they did that for a couple of years. And then in 79, CBS changed it and got rid of the old local announcer in the coverage practice. And Vin Scully started doing uh, the World Series in the capacity of being a CBS employee as opposed to a local employee. And he did that, and then he gave way to Jack Buck and then Scully again in the 90s. And Scully got to work with, in different years, Sparky Anderson and Johnny Bench, and he brought out more in those two men than I would have thought they had in them. Yeah, certainly. Uh, he, he was great working as an analyst. I mean, you know, most of us uh, who uh, are not from Los Angeles are probably unaware that with the Dodgers, Vin would never work with a partner. That was always the tradition going back to the Brooklyn days where only one voice was on the air at a time. And there was there was never even an analyst in the booth on his Dodger broadcast. So he only would work with a partner on network broadcasts. And, uh, and even though that wasn't how he customarily worked, he always knew how to uh, change his approach uh, for that thing and know what the what the role of an analyst should be. And, uh, and yes, and he did bring out the best of them uh, on radio, just as uh, he also did with uh, Joe Gargiola on uh, TV in the 80s. Talking with Eric Padden on the Baseball Lifer podcast. This is Don Wardlow here. And Eric, I know you collect a number of different sports. Baseball is the only one which you and I have done business on and uh, but if there's if there's a number two in your life, uh, in my in my case, it's a tie between boxing and women's college basketball coming after baseball. But what comes after baseball in your mind? Well, for number two for me would be um, a, a kind of a uh, the auto racing, or specifically the Indianapolis 500 radio broadcast, which starting in the 50s, really became a big phenomenon, uh, pioneering this art of uh, doing the race broadcast live from start to finish and coming up with an innovative way to make it come alive through the radio medium of uh, having different announcers in the turns to flash from one to the other to make it a bit more lively and not just one static voice or anything like that. And the uh, Indianapolis Speedway, uh, man, it has fortunately most of the uh, reels uh, the, uh, from their broadcasts in pristine quality going back to the 50s, and they have made them available 
for uh, people to buy uh, digitally and easily. So I've been able to build up a run of uh, just about all the Indy 500s from the mid-50s on, and that's always been exciting to listen to as well for me. By the time I heard my first 500, it was 1979. I was 16 years old, and for years I'd had a buddy in camp, another blind guy, and he'd been telling me about more than I wanted to know, frankly, about the Indy 500. But but finally, you know, he pushed me right over the edge. And in 79, I heard my first one. And I never imagined in 79 or any of the years, you know, to, to follow that I would ever be able to hear Sid Collins, who had passed away a couple of years earlier, or any of those voices from the 500 from the years when Bill Vukovic was winning it and later the years when Andretti won his in 69 and uh, the the English racers, uh, Graham Hill won his in 66. I, I never imagined, you know, those would come available and then the uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway brought them out. Yes, they uh, they got through most of them. They they didn't get around to a couple from the mid fifties. Uh, and, uh, and unfortunately the gentleman who was involved in their restoration efforts, uh, had to shut down the operation because COVID unfortunately caused the speedway to lay off all the employees who were involved in the, in the restoration work on their reels. So unfortunately, uh, the project is now of doing any further restorations is sadly dead in the water uh, so that means there are a couple from the 50s that they were still hoping to get out, uh, which, uh, un- unless the thing is miraculously restarted, will probably stay tucked away in the vault. So that's uh, a case, you know, as a collector where you know something exists, but it's out of reach, as opposed to one of the other things being collectors where you don't know necessarily if the broadcast you'd like to have exists or not, or, or is uh, available. In, in any way i've already mentioned what would have to be considered my favorite out of my entire collection of over 1700 games and that favorite is the 1975 world series all seven games of it even game five which was a blowout now out of your collection can you even even maybe like a top top five of some of the best games or series that you own that if you were running out of a burning house, what would you try to retrieve? Oh, it's it's a, such a tough call. I think probably I certainly would start with um, uh, I think the uh, the Yankee uh, network broadcasts of uh, the. 76 and 77 and 78 uh, post seasons and uh, and certainly uh, uh, recent upload the uh, clinching game of the 81 divisional playoffs which had been a grail obsession of mine for for many many decades that I recently came into I think I think just having the hearing the voices of Phil Rizzuto, Frank Messer, and Bill White calling those key postseason games. And uh, I'd probably also add uh, certainly a few key games from the Tory dynasty called by uh, John and Michael uh, as uh, well, which uh, was also uh, a magical time for uh, baseball radio listening for me uh, to, to have experienced that. Some of my favorite games, which really fascinate me and other people have no idea why I would want to listen to them 
are the games from, say, the 1934 World Series, the 1941 World Series. You know, these games when it was just being figured out how to preserve a game in its entirety. It was a lot easier to save a boxing match because it's much shorter, but it took them a lot longer to figure out how to preserve a baseball game. And as rough as those are to listen to, they are, at least to me, fascinating. Yeah, those starting in 34, I have read it's my understanding that those particular World Series recordings up through 45, which I think if you've listened to those, you'll know most of those are from Chicago in their uh, station IDs. And uh, yeah, they were apparently my understanding is that Judge Landis was the one who wanted those recordings made so he could uh, find out if the broadcaster said anything that, uh, you know, improper or not, then he could then lower the boom and decide that guy's out from any future (laughs) World Series coverage, and apparently that's how one of the legends of uh, sportscasting in those days, Ted Husing, apparently ended up on the blacklist because of something he said in in one of these 30s broadcasts, and uh, Landis used those. And then, unfortunately, when Landis died, he got succeeded by Happy Chandler, who didn't see the value of recording, and that is why there are no recordings of the 46 World Series around. There's absolutely nothing, because... uh, the, the the major league baseball didn't do them that year and so we don't have a recording of slaughter's dash for home in game seven of 46 the only world series ted williams played in now you mentioned receiving the 81 division playoff game five yankees brewers and you yes. said that had been a particular desire for you for years and years and years how did you finally come into it well Probably the last set of reels that I think I'm ever going to be fortunate enough to have found that came up on eBay. And again, this wasn't from the same estate lots as before. We had we had tapped out the uh, the Schenectady Albany ones, in which there were a lot of in which there had been a lot of regular season Yankee games from '81 from WROW, but no postseason games. And we didn't have any of the Yankee Network games from the 80 ALCS uh, either, for that uh, matter. So I always had the full Yankee Network for 6, 7, and 8, and nothing from 80 and 81. And I really wanted 81 because, to me, at least with the Yankee announcers calling that uh, clinching division playoff game, that that is sort of, I think, the last great moment of that 76-81 Yankee period and the only version that had been available was the CBS version with uh, Kurt Gowdy and Ernie Harwell. And as great as I think uh, Kurt was as a TV announcer, radio was not as strong. He just had been away from radio for so many years. It just wasn't a strong suit for him uh, any longer. And it, and, it, and it was just really not, I think, a very uh, stellar broadcast. So I wanted to hear Rizzuto Messer-White. And we had tapped out another a state lot with the 60s and 70s New York series. And then last September, somebody lists a whole set of different reels that are Yankee games from 1980 and 81. And, and just literally out of the blue, I preempt everybody else by contacting the guy privately. And I said, how many reels do you have? And he tells me, and I said, I'll give you a thousand bucks up front for your entire lot of everything you've got 
and this way you don't have to list any more on eBay. And he, he went for it. He lived relatively nearby to where I live in uh, Clark, uh, New Jersey, and uh, so I just only had to drive over and pick them up. Then I had to go through the long wait on the transfer process, which uh, has to be done by an out-of-state firm. That took a couple of months. But finally, fortunately, I knew that uh, the, the scheme 5 of 81 was on there, including even on another channel, most of the WPIX telecast audio as well. Uh, but the radio was complete from pregame to sign-off and postgame. Uh, commercials edited, but no uh, content missing. And, uh, and to be able to hear uh, Rizzuto describing Reggie's last great moment as a Yankee, and hearing in the post-game interview, uh, Fran Healy, uh, who was a very close friend of Reggie, uh, getting a very candid post-game interview with Reggie, in which Reggie pretty much makes it clear that he is, isn't really inclined to stay with the Yankees beyond uh, the 81 postseason, uh, uh, is just fascinating and feels kind of, in a sense, like uh, the perfect capper to the end of this 76-81 period, uh, uh, since there were no local Yankee radio broadcasts of the 81 World Series. In those days, it was still just only the network, CBS, doing it and nobody else. Uh, therefore, this allows uh, 81 to not feel like it has quite as bad a finish as it did as it, uh, when the World Series went awry. Last question for Eric Padden on the Baseball Lifer podcast. You know, you've spent a lot of money and made a lot of effort and I spent not so much money but definitely made a lot of effort to build the collection that we have and then we find a lot of the games that we spent money and made effort to get are suddenly showing up on YouTube that that at least in my in my case I I think you know, look at all the money I spent, and now here it is for free. Yeah, it's it it is kind of one of these raison areas uh, that you know the collectors and I and I've been part of uh, one big collecting circle, the message board, for quite a few years, and and there are there are and should be some certain ground rules to observe that really only I think the person who acquires and spends the money has the right to decide what the distribution, uh, you know, should be. Uh, in, in my case, you know, I, I try to make my uploads really be only things that are personally unique to my own collection in the sense that these are the things that I won that I contributed uh, to the effort for and the restoration. Sometimes they might be an improved version of an earlier one where I can make it a little bit better than before. I, put up a thing of the pine tar game radio broadcast, which uh, has never been a good quality one, but I found two good innings on a reel that I could drop into the old recording. And I found full post game from the Albany reels to add on, which had never been around. So I could at least say, well, this is a, this is, it might be mostly the old recording you've seen before, but this is better. It's got newer stuff. I, I never try to put up something that, I got from somebody else or anything like that, because I figure that's a no, no, I would never put up one of Miley's releases that he still markets for sale on CD. Uh, because if that's his recording that he puts out, uh, that's, that's, that's entirely his thing. And, and if I have uh, 
done something with other people who, like, say, went into the effort to contribute, uh, they you have to be fair to them and say, well, because you shipped in as well, I'm not going to make this public or anything like that. I mean, you do have to observe those kind of ground rules, but certain other things, I think most of the stuff that you do tend to see tends to be a lot of the, I, I think one person put up a giant thing of, of like 34 to 72 recordings that were Dan Rick copies years ago. And people, I think, just keep reposting that stuff going from the same source, basically is what happens there. We've spent some time sharing games. You've given me a number of yours and accepted a number of mine. Now I'm glad we spent some time here on the Baseball Lifer podcast. Eric Patton, thanks a lot. Thank you. Enjoyed it very much. All the best. We'll be back with word about next week's show after we take a minute for a message from our sponsor. Keep it where it is. I'm having such a problem at work. It's the second time this month. I've got two computers down, and I can't get my computer repair company to come to the office to fix them. I think they are too busy with other bigger companies to help us. You know, I was having the same problem until we met Cortland Computer Services in Middlesex, New Jersey. They respond to most of my calls the same day, either by accessing my computers remotely or by sending a technician to my office. Wow, that would be great. It is such a disruption when our computers are not working properly. I need someone who can see what's wrong and fix it. On our first meeting, they surveyed our network for security, identified some problem areas, and set us up with security software designed to prevent malware, ransomware, and all of the other threats that are on the internet these days. They've been helping central New Jersey businesses for 30 years and they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. You should contact them either on the web at courtlandcomputerservices.com or by phone at 732-356-8860. 732-356-8860, courtlandcomputerservices.com. Tell them you heard about them on the Baseball Lifer podcast and get a $100 coupon toward your first two hours of services. Back on the Baseball Lifer podcast, Don Wardlow here, following our interview with Eric Padden, game collector extraordinaire. He's kept doing it. He's added on a couple of new recordings from the 1964 World Series where the Yankees took on the Cardinals. And on the radio, those games were done by Joe Garagiola, who at that time was strictly working for NBC, and Phil Rizzuto, one of the Yankees broadcasters. As fate would have it, Joe Garagiola would be hired by the Yankees in 1965. So he would work with Phil Rizzuto and Jerry Coleman. Meantime, back in reality, this is Super Regionals Week. I'm recording this on Friday, June 9th, and the first Super Regional Duke and Virginia has already gotten underway. The feature game is going to be tomorrow, Saturday noon. It's going to be Wake Forest and Alabama. And the reason I call it the feature game is because Wake Forest is going to have pitcher Rhett Louder on the hill. Rhett Louder is undefeated, 14 wins, no losses, which 
almost never happens at any level in baseball. And we'll talk some more about that with Adam Giardino, who's going to join us next week on a special College World Series edition of the Baseball Lifer podcast. For now, this is Don Wardlow. Glad to have you listening in and have a good week.